0: Welcome to Feels Like Home, a home, garden, and design podcast with me, interior designer Sam Strzok. And me, stylist and photographer Eva
1: Kosmas Flores. Each week, we'll bring you down-to-earth advice to help you create beauty in your living space and vibrancy in your garden. Along with insights and tips from our guests... Plus, every episode, we'll dive into listener mail and help you solve a garden or design problem.
0: So send them on over to us at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. So pull up a seat and make yourself at home.
1: Hey, guys, welcome back. Hello. We're coming at you from a wintry Portland day. Sam got here after being deterred by some rock blasting
0: happening. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's kind of a funny morning, but there's another two months of that. Yeah. So they're blasting rock off the mountain near your your house,
1: kind of, and it's kind of shaking everything up.
0: It, yes. Uh, they're connecting the bike path. So right now okay. they're, there's the bike path that starts in Troutdale. Mm-hmm. And the goal is that it actually continues all the way to the Dalles and it's Right now, the bike path runs from Troutdale all the way to Viento, which is about five miles from Hood River. So they're working on the last stretch right now, and they have to do this like really intense blasting on the cliff of Oof. the highway. So lots of dynamite and heavy equipment, okay. and when they blow it up, we can feel our house rattle, <laughs> and it's just a little bit wild. So I, we did not know they were blasting this morning when I headed your way. Well, I'm glad you're here yes. and you made it without getting hit by any uh, straight pebbles or rocks <laughs> flying off the
1: cliff face. Eh? Yes. Uh, do you think you'll use that bike path once it's done? Do you guys cycle at all?
0: You know, I don't know. We don't do a lot of it right now, but the plan for the bike path actually includes connecting over, like switching on the other side of the highway and connecting to our property. Oh, wow. So we literally have like town hall discussions about this in the coming weeks, which just seems very small town, of course, but... um <laughs> But yeah, so they're going to be connecting it literally onto our property, and they have like a 12-foot easement that they're taking across the farm to connect it. So it'll be right there. So who knows? Maybe we'll become cyclists. Yeah. You could do your a cider stand for thirsty cyclists coming through. You know, we are talking about that. You totally should. That so, would be awesome. There's some like... Long-term development planning in the works, but I can't say much about it because if my mother-in-law listens, she might get really stressed out. So <laughs> Jordan and I are talking about what we can do to like help preserve the farm in yeah. the long run. Yeah. And the fact that there are thirsty cyclists running right there seems like a viable business opportunity. Definitely. I mean, I would definitely
1: get some cider if I'm like in a hot yeah. Hood River day, cycling along path. You can smell it, too, because right. the orchard's so fragrant, I so know. nice. It's right there. Yeah. Well, let's dive into our strides and struggles. Cool. Do you want to kick things off? You've got had some stuff
0: going on the past <laughs> couple weeks. Sure. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things going on, and they're always the same, which is that my children are once again sick. So <laughs> I literally, Granger, I don't know what's up with these kids. All weekend, Penn was throwing up puking, fever, and then, you know, took Ranger to school on Monday. He was fine. Tuesday, got the call, like, you gotta come and get him. He's got a high fever. And it was high. It was like 103.6 at school. So I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's high. So he's been homesick for the last couple of days. So that's kind of been the struggle. It's just, I literally feel like from Christmas until now, we have just like been sick. So that's no fun. I feel like I, I say that every episode too. You're like, what's the struggle? I'm like, yes, we're sick once again. <laughs> so yes. So we're getting through that. We also had COVID a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So all that, and that's separate from the last two days of my kids <laughs> being sick. So uh, that actually was fairly mild and we all got through it together. We all tested positive on the same day. So it was wow. just like, okay, we're here. We're going to quarantine, like buckle down and we're all going to get through it and have like super immunity. So. Yeah
1: cuz you got you're vaccinated and yeah. now you had it so yeah i think you're in like the top like 1% of like the best immunity possible at yeah. this
0: point <laughs> feeling good i my only symptoms were like some pretty heavy headaches oh, like wow. i don't really ever have migraines and this was like migraines every day Whoa. so no fever no cough nothing just really bad headaches so it's,
1: i don't know yeah
0: it's so strange how the symptoms can present a
1: little bit differently depending but i bet being vaccinated maybe Helps with like preventing the coughing as much, but yeah. you know, who really knows? Totally. Viruses My husband weird.
0: was fine. He just was a little tired. And then the boys were generally fine, mostly just like snotty nose and, but no fever or anything. So, well, I'm, I'm glad, glad, glad it was for- mild for you guys. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I, but- I mean, if you're all four of you going to have it at once, it's like, it better be mild otherwise oh yeah we're not coming out alive yeah, so. was like, who's going to be taking care of <laughs> yeah, you here yeah, yes. we're all just like slammed <laughs> yeah so it was yeah. good we survived but yeah it was good um and then for my strides i actually took like a big leap and hired it seems so funny to say it like a health and wellness coach but that's what it is so i love that i hired her name's kylie she's a company kh, KH wellness um And she just is like really soulful in her intention. And I think going into this year, just there was a lot of business growth and then dealing with, you know, shifting business to where we're including Jordan in it and Mm -hmm. just all of these different elements that feel like are great, but I would like to prioritize like boundaries around business, prioritize my own personal health in the midst of business growth. And so I'm just excited to like, start that and we did like our first session and she was I don't know it's just like vision casting 10 20 years from now and like painting a picture of what I want for myself and my family and that was really it was a really fun exercise so I'm excited I love that and that's so great that you like took the step to do that for yourself
1: too because I feel like especially when you know your business is doing well sometimes you know society's pressure is just like you've got to keep up while it's growing and like rush 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 and right it's like it's good to take a step back and make sure that you're not going to burn out because then now you have a lot of people you know depending on you right because your business has gotten big a lot bigger over the past year so you have to take care of yourself so i'm glad that you're doing that that's really awesome it's good what about you so in terms of strides i finally cleared up all the tomatoes the skeletons basically in my raised bed so Uh, basically it's just the dead tomatoes from the summer and it is now February. So (laughs) (laughs) finally uh, got those cleaned out of the raised beds. I'm sure my neighbors are very happy about because they've just had to stare at these like dead tomato carcasses for like four months, just (laughs) driving by our house, but they're all cleaned out. And that just felt like a big accomplishment because I'd just been putting it off for so long. Things just been busy, you know, first it was like the holidays and then, you know, I'm like, having my photography course open up again soon so i've been like preparing a lot for that so it just hasn't been as much time for garden maintenance i mean i've been i've been doing good with the time i've had no i've been keeping up with pruning but the tomatoes just kind of fell to the bottom of the to-do list but and i was also worried about the the cages are pretty tall that i use for my tomatoes are like six feet oh wow um because some of the tomato varieties that are vining get like, they just grow so fast. Yeah. I was worried about them falling over into the street because they're on the side of our garage that kind of runs along the neighborhood street. So it's like if they fell over from like weird weight or the wind, that could be like kind of dangerous if someone <laughs> runs them over because they're like not paying attention. So just feels good to get that done. Yeah, And it was really fun because when I when we built out the raised beds last year, I had put spring bulbs around the edges of each bed. So, like, the centers would be tomato plants in the summer, and then the edges of the raised bed in the spring just have, like, daffodils and tulips and stuff. Nice. Um, so, when I was clearing out the dead tomatoes, I saw all the bulbs coming up. So, that was really exciting.
0: Little so, signs of spring.
1: I know. I huh. can't wait. It's going to be really, really nice to uh, to have those flowers and that color again. Because right now, I mean, you know, everything just looks brown and dead and muddy yeah. here right now. So. Uh, And Sam just pointed out I have a little flower vase here um, with some pretty spring freesia flowers in it. It's not from the garden because nothing has bloomed yet, but I feel (laughs) like the daffodils will come soon. But I just need that pop of spring, like the glimmer of hope. Yeah. It's coming. It feels like that on the
0: table. Yeah, right. It's right here. Yeah. It's coming.
1: I like put it here for us
0: to look at while we were recording (laughs) in a little candle. Yeah. Is that the mood? I feel like it's even brighter too just in general than Mm -hmm. when we first you know started recording where 10 o'clock it's still like mid-level light it feels brighter in here
1: definitely yeah it really does so i'm here and ready for spring excited prepping for it prepping the garden for it and then the struggle is also kind of a garden thing again i feel like most of my strides and struggles have to do with like uh the homesteading stuff that i'm doing but they are the things that i probably feel the most excited about but then the most Uh, stressed about sometimes because one thing that's going to be a little tricky is just accessibility with our current garden because there's like a gate to get into the front yard and then there's another gate once you're like in this little entryway to the front yard to actually get into the gardening area because I have the chickens have a smaller patch in the front in the summer so that you know if I let them in the front Like the whole front garden, they would just literally dig up and destroy everything because they're so scratchy. And so just having these two gates and then right after the second gate, there's this arch that I kind of like haphazardly constructed like four years ago out of just wood that we had trimmed off of some shrubs that is now near collapse. (laughs) And it's very precarious to walk under it, which you have to to get into the garden. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think about like that was kind of a big source of stress. Honestly, last summer was like I would put off harvesting because it was just such a slog to get in just to get into the garden was like I had to open and close a million gates and I had to be paranoid about chickens like running through the gate. And like, you know, when you're also hauling like cuttings and prunings through and trying to like get a wheelbarrow through without a chicken also running through while the gates open, it's just kind of like a lot of annoying things happening at the same time. Sure. So... I've been trying to brainstorm, like, how can I streamline that to make it easier to access and less stressful, and I haven't really come up with any solutions. <laughs> so that's
0: kind of my struggle. That's a struggle, yeah. That's
1: my struggle, yeah, at the moment. But hopefully, I'll think, I'll think of something that it'll it'll be easier. But just gotta stew on it a little bit more. I think. Yeah,
0: my philosophy on that is like. Don't garden. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) You should definitely garden. Um, And I would, if I knew more about it, I totally would. And if I didn't have 30 acres of apples, we would do that. Um, But yes, I am with you in solidarity as you try to figure this one out. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, But I'm really, really excited to chat with our guest today, Lauren. She's a friend of mine and I've known her for, gosh, Maybe like five years now. Yeah. I first reached out to her because I wanted to plaster our house um on the inside. And I was looking at plaster companies and I reached out to a few and then Lauren got back to me right away and was just super warm and friendly and super helpful because I was also gonna DIY the application myself. And, and then she ended up coming to a workshop that I hosted in Tennessee. <laughs> And uh, teaching the attendees how to plaster, too, because we did uh, backdrops for oh, like, wow. photography. So everyone got to plaster one, and that was super fun, too. So she's just a sweetheart. So I'm really, really excited to, to chat with her
0: today. Have you done plaster in any of your interior spaces? We have. Yeah. So um, it's fairly limited and kind of up and coming in the area. There's several different contractors that work um, in the area in kind of that plaster sphere. So it'll be interesting to hear her perspective on like the differences between clay versus lime. I don't really know a lot about that, but uh, we're seeing more and more in our projects that people want to do it.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So
0: with that, let's dive into our
1: conversation with Lauren. Want gorgeous photos of your home? I've made five beautiful Lightroom mobile presets that will bring brightness and beauty to your space and you can grab them for free at feelslikehomepodcast.com. Lauren Dillon is the lead designer at Master of Plaster, a traditional lime plaster and lime wash maker based out of South Carolina. She's passionate about restoring historic structures and infusing modern design with traditional plaster work, and she specializes in making and recreating ornamental plasters.
2: Welcome, Lauren. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being
1: here. We're so excited to talk with you today and dive into plaster and lime wash. It's such a beautiful texture surface and i think we've gotten quite a few questions about it actually from folks So it'll be fun to dive deeper into kind of like what's what it's like working with it what its applications are and all that good
2: stuff Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i think there's a bit of not confusion but it's just not a very well-known material so it is there's a little bit of apprehension when people start to delve into it just because they're not very familiar with it
1: yeah totally so First, before we dive into all the plaster goodness, so why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you're from and how you kind of got into plaster?
2: Yes. So I'm from South Carolina. I went to Virginia Tech for undergraduate degree and it was in the School of Architecture. The focus was in landscape architecture um and then i actually went and did my masters in ireland and that was a degree in urban design with a focus in historic preservation so my father by trade is a plasterer so i definitely grew up with an appreciation of the craft and the trade and then my time in dublin really exposed me more to i'd say the artistry of the material itself so um really just got into more of the research on the materials and the craftsmen of, you know, the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. And the more I studied and the more I was paying attention, the more I really fell in love with the material and the trade in general. So that's kind of my background and entryway into the the field.
1: And then how did Master of Plaster get started? Is that like a family business?
2: It is a family business so my dad makes all of our plasters. I'm more of the kind of creative force behind the, the team. And then my sister is actually, she's kind of the business and finance. She's the real structured and organized and keeps me on track individual. So, um, (laughs) it is, it is a family affair, but it actually, it was started in Essex, New York by a man named Michael Kempster, and he was a plaster, and his kind of the Kempster lineage dates back to England wow. in the 1600s. Yes. So he was a phenomenal artisan and um, these are his family formulations. So he kind of carried on the tradition. My dad discovered him, became good friends with him. And it was actually when I was living in Ireland that my dad moved the company down to Columbia, bought it from Mike. He um, ended up getting cancer and didn't have anybody to pass the company on to. So my dad just really hated the thought of all this body of knowledge and these materials kind of ending with Mike. So it's kind of his legacy that we really feel like we're carrying on.
0: It's amazing.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it kind of, you know, we're sitting in my living dining room right now which has your guys's plaster on the walls and now it it really gives me a whole new appreciation for like what's around us just like the historical context that's just such a such a really cool origin story
2: it's it is it's i think that's where a lot of our passion for for the materials comes from It's Mm kind of his legacy and then it's you know plaster for so long was seen as a dying art And to really see this kind of resurgence has been so, so special just to be a part of.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, kind of going along with that, why don't we dive into what plaster actually is for, you know, folks who might not know, you know, what the material is, what it's like, what
2: its uses are. Right. Absolutely. So it's kind of plaster is when you start to get into it, it's such a broad term. So you can have clay plasters and you find that traditionally in you know New Mexico, Arizona, more of the adobe vernacular architecture. Um, but then like our plasters are hydrated lime. And so that's a different type of material. It's derived of limestone. Um, then you can have gypsum plasters and then there are molding plasters. So a lot of the decorative ornamental work that you see that's created with plaster, that's um, created out of the ornamental plaster. So to not get into it, too deep there's a lot of different um chemistries at play depending on what kind of rock or source you are sourcing your plaster from but it's really it's an earthen material that's derived from stone or different soils and that it's then kind of manipulated like the um hydrated limes they are burnt to 1500 1700 degrees all the impurities are burnt away gypsum is only about 300 degrees so you kind of get different impurities that stay in the material but really it's any any type of earthen material that you are then applying by hawk and trowel to create these beautiful finishes or then to pour into molds to create these beautiful kind of decorative details.
0: That's really neat. And then can you talk a little bit about what the environmental benefits are of using lime wash or lime plaster, or I guess any plaster in general based on your background and experience?
2: Yes. So I we personally kind of feel that the hydrated limes are some of the healthiest, but that's mostly because of kind of the chemistry of it. They actually cure out, they reabsorb carbon. So a lime wash or a lime plaster um, reabsorbs carbon dioxide on your walls. Oh, so wow. it's taking, yes, it's an it's, it's amazing material to work with. So it takes in CO2, it kind of cleans the air in that process, and it cures out to a pH between 10 and 12. So mold and bacteria cannot grow in a lime plaster environment. And that's why historically you see the lime plaster really in prevalently in coastal regions because it could take on that humidity and sure. there wouldn't be any any kind of issues with the um the interior health of that space. So, you know, and they're just they're great as far as they're they're an earthen material. So you're not putting it's not off gassing VOCs. So it's really wonderful to have in your interior spaces.
0: That's great. Um I mean I'm I'm pretty familiar with clay plaster in our area. There's a quite a few people that do install and apply it. And so it's mm-hmm. becoming kind of popular in our um kind of neck of the woods at this moment. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious, I think when I talk about it with clients, on at least in my projects, a lot of the time there's resistance to using it because there's an assumption that it's going to be like tenfold the cost of whatever, you know, standard drywall finishing options are. So I'm just curious in your experience what you would say to people that are like apprehensive about making the leap to investing in that.
2: Uh, yes, I would say. You know it's more the labor um i mean the materials are maybe perhaps a little bit more expensive sure. per square foot but i mean there's some very expensive paints on the market that a yeah. lot of people work with yeah. and so i think it's pretty i think plaster is pretty comparable from a materials pricing standpoint but it yeah. is especially with the lime plasters the real and i can eva can attest to this i mean <laughs> the the it's that layering process and that's where you really you're creating that depth and that beauty and those nuances and that movement and so it tends to be especially with our plasters a three coat installation versus maybe just you know with painting you're probably doing a layer of primer and then just a single layer of paint and then you can be done with it so the labor is more of an investment but i just you know the benefits and the beauty and the, you know, it kind of has this temporal aspect to Mm -hmm. it. It's not a stagnant static finish, right? It really reads light differently in the morning and in the evening. And so you kind of get this temporal aspect to it. Um, I think it just heightens your, your senses. You walk into a space that's derived of earth and materials and you really are kind of more aware of your surroundings. So I think cost wise, yes. You know, it is going to be more labor intensive, and that's where the price point varies. But I think the benefits are just far exceed what what that additional um, cost is in the final aesthetic.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you know, you really do feel like you're in a special place when you walk into a room that has been plastered like it just feels kind of like there's a sense of depth to the room and the way the light reflects off of it is very accurate because at different points of the day like even you know I have some tan plaster in my mm-hmm. home and sometimes mm-hmm. it looks warmer sometimes it has almost like a cooler tint to it just depending on the outside light and the way it's reflecting off of it so it's yeah it's just a really beautiful special material and I absolutely love it but I am curious. I mean, I know because you we, I have plastered my home myself. Uh, so, you know, just putting it out there if you are interested in plaster, um, but you don't want to hire out or there's not someone in your area who really knows how to do that properly. You can definitely do it yourself. It just takes time. But Lauren was so great about coaching me via email about you know, how to apply it and stuff. And I think now, do you, do you guys have like some videos on your site or something to like help people
2: visualize how to how to apply it? We do. And we do kind of one-on-one coaching sessions if we need to schedule a, a Zoom call or, you know, kind of help troubleshoot through. And we do host people in the warehouse, in our studios. So, you know, we'll, we've had different clients come in from around the country. We've had people come in from England So um, we are very hands on with the materials. And it's kind of like you said, there might not be someone in the area or you know, we found some really amazing people that are just creatives. They're really tuned into color and texture and they create some of the most beautiful finishes and they've never worked a hawk and trowel before. It's really comprehending. I think once people get a grasp of the chemistry behind the material and how it's gonna work when you manipulate it different ways, That's when they really just start to, it clicks and you can really start to kind of fly through an installation.
1: Yeah. And so for folks who don't know, like a a trowel is kind of like this flat spade kind of thing. It's like a metal Mm -hmm. square. So you like press on the plaster on the wall just to like smooth it out with this flat piece of metal and you're kind of doing it in like circular motions but like you know lauren was saying with master plaster it's three layers so the first layer it's like grittier right right lauren that's like the base yeah. layer
2: yeah mm-hmm. and it's yeah so you're kind of the diy is kind of built into the process the first coat's supposed to be a little coarse and rough and you're getting a good key coat with a substrate the next coat you're building out some depth and you're really getting the hang of the tools and how the material reacts And then by the time you get to that third coat, you really have a handle on, okay, you know, when I apply this amount of pressure or I have this type of angle with my trowel towards the wall, I, you know, I can manipulate it different ways. So, uh, yes, it's really great that three coat process because it's kind of you have this built in level of trial and error that you can really get a handle and develop kind of a skill set for it.
1: Yeah, it is like practicing because the first one's just like rough to like, you know, mm-hmm. get it to stick better on the wall. So it's like, it's okay. I'm just like learning how yeah. to use a trowel and then uh-huh.
2: Yeah, by the time
1: you get to that third coat, you're pretty much an expert after doing two layers on uh-huh. the rooms. So you're like, I got this.
2: <laughs> yes, it's a little less stressful because you have that room for error built in. Mm-hmm. Right. So then if you're yeah.
0: if you are starting this process on your own for somebody like me that has never done it, uh, mm-hmm. do you have to prep? A painted wall like do you have to prime it first or is that base coat considered like
2: the prep the the base coat can be considered that prep depending on let's say you've gone through a renovation there's dust and different particles in the air you do there is some cleaning before and then you can do some priming each project tends to be a little different whether it's a restoration a renovation a new design build and we have um, there are different avenues that you can take, but that base coat is considered that first prep layer, that foundation layer.
1: Yeah, because I think with my house, I mine was kind of funny because the downstairs is old, so I had old lime or like old plaster, not lime plaster, but just old plaster from like the 1930s which is what our walls mm-hmm. were made out of so I think I just had to like kind of wipe it down because it right. had been painted and mm-hmm. then I, I I, think I wiped it down and I maybe had to paint, paint it with primer and then I could put it directly on that but with the upstairs which had normal modern drywall I think right. I just pr- like again wiped it down with like a damp cloth to get all the dust or whatever off and then primed it and then could put the plaster directly on top of that.
2: Yep. Mm -hmm. And we tend to recommend wiping down with a 50-50 mixture of warm water and vinegar. So that really helps remove any dust or dirt or oils that might have built up over the years.
0: Okay. So then Mm -hmm. for again, for those of us that have never had this in our homes and don't know anything about it, Can you talk to me a little bit about maintenance? And either of you obviously can answer this question since Eva, you have this in your house. But what's this like for maintenance in terms of cleaning? I'm thinking like my two boys at home, like nicking the wall or their gross like food hands rubbing against the wall. So what's it like to maintain this in a home?
2: So and that's an excellent question. And I will say that's where plaster can be a little bit more difficult versus a painted surface is as an earthen material, it will let's say you spill red wine or you are, you know, your kitchen has been plastered and you were working with olive oil or, you know, it will take in and absorb any of those discolorations or tannins. So like in a lot of our commercial projects, clients will seal the plaster a natural beeswax or a carnauba wax a marseille soap um there are acrylic sealants out on the market that are really great as well if you want something a little bit more you know waterproofing style type sealant but there are ways to seal the plaster where it will protect it so if you do spill something or you do have to get handprints or whatnot but i would say you know, they are, we have a lot of clients that have young kids, they plaster their entire homes and they never seal it. And, and it's in a very soft off white color and they really don't, they tend to not have major issues. And if you do kind of get maybe little nicks, you can definitely um, just do touch ups so mm-hmm. small touch ups but then. Any type of kind of dirt, you can really buff it out with a fine grit sandpaper. So as long as it's not soaking in a large area, kind of little, you know, everyday dirt spots tend to be pretty easily removed.
1: Yeah. And I I did order because you guys are able to also make like smaller touch up uh, sizes. So I ordered recently Mm -hmm. like a couple just pint jar sized finishes for some touch ups that I wanted to do. Upstairs, because I tripped going up the stairs and spilled like rooibos tea on the wall. Not
2: great, and it soaked right in, right? Because
1: right I, yeah. yeah, I didn't put the finishing uh, on there. Which, but that is on my to-do list. I really want to this mm-hmm. year put the like. You know beeswax on the walls mm-hmm. and get it nice and sealed just for mm-hmm. my own clumsiness sake <laughs>
2: right, right yes and we will have clients that they'll you know maybe their bedrooms they leave in the raw plaster but then perhaps the kitchen or dining room they do they do them seal yeah so that's an option too you don't have to seal the entire interior but you can kind of pick your high use spaces and potentially seal those areas
1: and so what we've been talking about is like plaster, but you also do lime
2: wash paints too, right? Yes. And so we, we kind of, we stay away from the word paint a little bit. Okay. But yes, the, the lime washes. hmm And ours are very traditional and they're historically authentic. And traditionally, lime washes were always used for exteriors over brick or a masonry substrate or over an NHL an stucco. And that was in theory, the lime wash was a much cheaper product. It was much it was less labor intensive. And it structurally it wasn't integral to the building. Important To the building and so the lime wash would wear away over time exposed to the rain and the elements and so just every few years you would come back and recoat the lime wash so it was really a sacrificial coating if that Mm -hmm. makes sense Um, and that's really where a lot of that beauty of that patina and aging in like charleston and new orleans and savannah that you see those are layers and layers and years and years of different lime washes that have been coated on as a protective kind of coating that could allow the building to breathe and wear away but yeah we've seen a huge increase on lime washes being used in interior spaces and they are more fluid and organic and more kind of like a paint consistency uh, than a plaster would be and so um, they're really these beautiful almost velvety you get a lot of movement you see the sponge or the brush strokes in it it's a real it's almost a chalkier aesthetic whereas a a lime plaster finish would be more of like a stone or marble aesthetic. So that's a, a great way to kind of explain the difference between those two different materials.
1: With the lime plaster, I sometimes get like a, a shimmering effect if there's lights hitting in a certain way. Right. Do you get that with the lime wash or no, because you don't have like the depth of the layers?
2: No, you could potentially, if, So normally with a lime wash installation, I personally prefer to do a three coat application. I like to sponge apply and then do a horizontal brush layer and then a vertical brush layer to kind of elevate the space and draw the eye up. But if some people, so that a lot of that, what you're seeing that sparkle is that crushed limestone in our base coat. Mm -hmm. So if you were to do maybe just a single coat, of the wash you would probably get some of that limestone in the base coat shadowing through a bit so you could potentially see some of that sparkle in the light but if you're doing a heavier lime wash application that would mask any of that limestone
1: and then with applying lime wash would you could you just do that over like a normal primer on like a normal drywall like say if it's like a new build
2: not ours so we yep and i think there are some products on the market that. I think maybe have some um, synthetics or acrylics added in that act as a binder and will and you will uh, it will allow you to bond to, let's say, a primed surface with our lime wash. It's- you really need a porous substrate for it to soak into. So it would need to be, you know, a two coat installation again of our base coat or a brick substrate or a stucco, some type of masonry substrate. So, and I also, I mean, and I think there's some really good products on the market that where you could probably just go direct applied to a primed or painted surface, but I just don't think you get the depth that you, you know, you really, the beauty is of that wash really soaking in and that, you know, it's. It's really kind of bond, almost fresco. It's almost like a fresco. You're really bonding that pigment and that wash into that porous substrate underneath. And so that's where that depth and that movement really comes from and more of those nuances. I just think if you're going over a primed, not porous surface, you just don't get as much of the beauty as you really would like to.
0: Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going back a little bit to um, the discussion, we kind of quickly touched on sealing it. Um, and that made me think of right now we've got several projects where clients want waterproof plaster, uh, lime plaster. And I, I, the only word I know to like say what it is, is Tadalact. And so is that the same mm-hmm. thing when you actually penetrate the lime with the soap? Does that make it waterproof? And is that i think it does
2: yeah it, it is a thing so that is um, a lot of people refer to cadillac as a product or a type of plaster mm-hmm. my comprehension and understanding is it's more of a process so it is a hydrated lime plaster and then it is that process of the the soap or the oil and you're taking that very high polished rock or stone and you're continually, continuously compressing that into the open lime as it's curing. And what that does is that compression, that constant compression, really seals out, bonds with the lime plaster, and seals out and hardens it to protect it to be waterproof. When we talk about pricing and la- labor intensive, that is, pro- tadillac is probably that process is probably the most highly labor-intensive process that you could have with blaster so um
0: yeah I I mean in our like I said in our experience it's typically comes about when a client wants no grout they don't want to clean a shower that has grout and they want that really simple like shower look that's very zen and natural Mm -hmm. and earthen and Mm -hmm. we have several projects where we've gone down the road of cost analysis right and we've looked at right. what is the difference to like do act versus tile and i don't know if it's because we just like really expensive tile from pratt and larson or like <laughs> we just have beautiful handmade uh tile that we like like to suggest but um, uh-huh. the cost has actually been somewhat neutral um in in know. most of the cases that we've looked at it and it's I get that the conversation is different if you're doing like maybe a wide format tile that is easy to install and not tricky. But, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking at something that is more artisan and handmade and it's like a four by four tile, so you've got lots of grout. And then, um, but and so then. You know, the hesitancy around um, Moroccan uneven tile and how what the maintenance is to clean that relative to Tadelakt plus looking at it from a cost standpoint, it really has come out neutral, which I've been well, surprised
2: about. Yeah, that surprised me too. Yeah, well, that's great. I, you know, we tend to shy away from recommending Tadillac or more so our materials being used in showers, and they have been, and we have clients that do it and they seal it out and they're beautiful. It's just if that's If there is any type of movement or shifting in the substrate, so you really have to make sure that the quality of construction and the Mm -hmm. build out before the application is is kind of to the utmost standard.
0: Totally. So that's not a DIY project for sure right like, right exactly you should hire mm-hmm. a professional to do that yeah. <laughs>
2: anytime we talk about
0: water penetrations for sure right, you need to hire yeah. a professional yeah. so uh-huh. yes uh,
2: so, but yeah they're beautiful installations and that is that's a very very popular finish right now
1: what's your favorite plaster project That you've worked on i know it's probably hard for you to pick one but maybe like even like a couple highlights if it's hard for you to pick just one
2: yeah well i just did a pink kitchen it's always you know i feel like it's always your last project is your favorite (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it's it's fresh in your mind and you just really love it but it's this beautiful it's actually here in columbia which is exciting because i don't get to do much work here locally and it's for a client who's an interior designer And it's just this beautiful, rich pink. And I just really, really, I love color. So I was really excited to get to do that. I would say last last May, I did a project with my my father and my brother um, for a, a client out of Maine. And that was a lot of fun to actually get to work you know with them on site all together and it was filmed for a show so that was pretty exciting oh, uh, just cool. to kind of help yeah just to help bring about more awareness of the, the material and the craft um that was with Morehouse house design they're based out of rhode island so that was a pretty neat project i have to say probably my the most special my favorite would be the hirshhorn museum in um DC. It's the Smithsonian Museum of Modern Art. It sits right on the National Mall. And they they did a renovation maybe six or seven years ago at this point and they used all of our plasters. Wow. And that, yes, and I, you know, I walked in and there's this Picasso, you know, hanging on our <laughs> plasters. Amazing. That yeah, that was a pretty that one's a pretty special kind of that one stands out probably as one of my just more emotional projects, I would say.
1: Yeah. And then just the historic context of that too, like being on the national mall in DC, like yes. that's really cool.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. It was an SON building, a beautiful structure. Um, yeah. It, it just kind of all of it really brought together, made it a really special project. What does SON mean? Oh, SON. It's a, um, it's a pretty well-known architecture firm.
1: Oh, okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Awesome. So,
2: yeah.
0: Well. Lauren, can you tell us, this is kind of a random question, but can you tell me like the most creative use of plaster that you've seen? I know some people have used it for like furniture making, for example.
2: What sort of things,
0: what's like a creative kind of wild, unique way?
2: You've yeah, seen use it? frames, mirrors. I yeah. love seeing, I've done a few just personally myself for my, my own interiors. Um, I've made a few kind of plaster mirror frames, um, chandeliers, sconces. Uh, I would say those are kind of some of the the more creative. Um, it's just it's amazing because as a material, it's fluid, but then it turns into a solid. So you have just so much potential with how you form it and shape it and the texture. I've seen some some plaster candlesticks that are really beautiful. But yeah, more of like the decorative arts. I really love seeing kind of more of the modern creations with more of a decorative arts field. And how they've really, you know, it's not this old, outdated material from yesteryear. It's, you know, there are a lot of these modern interpretations that are being executed with plaster as a material.
1: That sounds so interesting. I'm going to have to look those up after because I'm trying to imagine like what would even like a plaster like chandelier or sconce look like. That's so cool. Oh
2: Yes, there's there's a um, great artist out of Brooklyn. I'll have to send you his information. Um, but he's I mean, he's been working with plaster probably for almost three decades and a major inspiration to me. Um, I'll have to send you all of his. But he does these beautiful chandeliers and sconces and again, very much in the decorative arts realm, but not not the traditional classical that you would envision. It's definitely more modern and it's more about form and kind of function.
1: That would be awesome. And we can link to those in the show notes too. Yeah. I'm sure they're
2: curious. (laughs) That'd be great. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And this is a question that we ask every guest. What does home feel like
2: to you? That's a good question. I think for me, I think home feels like authenticity. If I had to select a word, I just feel like we're in such an age of, you know, I don't know, it's Pinterest and it, you see all these different spaces and it's all, you know, you kind of, you can walk into some spaces and you can tell they're carefully curated to give off a special or a very, you know, specific idea. Mm -hmm. I love walking into homes that just feel like the person, you know, there's more there's character and there's nuances and there's imperfections and those imperfections are celebrated. They're not only accepted, but they're celebrated. And so I think home for me is kind of an authentic space where you can challenge yourself. You can engage with your environment. It's a place of support, but it's also, you know, a place where you can really just em- embrace your most authentic self. So I know some, some people, you know, really like clean spaces and those are more sterile environments to me. Mm -hmm. I really prefer seeing like my, you know, my home, my interior is the first plaster, big plaster project I ever did. And it's terrible. It looks, you know, I, (laughs) I look at it and it's. I see all the imperfections and all the, you know, and I kind of cringe and I'm like, oh, I should have done this differently or, you know, but it's still the same, same time. I really love it because I, you know, there's, I can see that process and I can see that evolution. And yeah, I like, I like, you know, really having artisan made pieces that are, you know, just, they tell a story.
1: Yeah. And especially to you, right? Because your home is your space. So it's like, even if someone doesn't know the story behind, you know, this picture frame or, you know, the antler that you have hanging on the wall, like you know, and it just makes it feel so much more special when, you know, instead of just going to like Target and buying something random, you have something that like is meaningful to you. Not to say that it's not okay to buy stuff off the shelf, like that's fine too. But I think it's really even more special to have those pieces that are attached to a memory for you.
2: Absolutely. I have a lot of kind of my grandparents' different pieces and it's not necessarily my style, I would say, but it's, but like you said, there's so, so many memories tied up within that and it's such a special moment. So to have that and to be able to engage with that every day is really, you know, really kind of grounds you and really, um, just, you know, makes it feel like home. I love that.
0: I love it. It's great. Well, um, Lauren, where can people find you? Like website, Instagram, and also do you have any classes that you are going to be
2: offering or currently offering? So we we tend to kind of do, we have found the kind of more one-on-one classes and trainings work the best. Before COVID, we actually had quite a few scheduled for larger scale classes. And then of course those got canceled and we haven't really delved into that again. But um, if anybody's interested, they can reach out to us. We have our, our website is masterofplaster.com. And then Instagram is probably, you know, we don't do much with YouTube or any of the other social media channels, but Instagram, we're pretty active there. And that's Master of Plaster USA.
1: Awesome. And we do have some listener mail. Um, would you be able to uh, give us some advice on this? Yeah. Awesome. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, actually, I
0: feel like the home one is very relevant to this conversation for yeah, sure.
1: Definitely. So the first one comes from uh, Backdrops Woodville on Instagram, and this is a home-related question. So each time we do a home and a garden, and so their question is: I'm trying to decide between wallpaper or painted walls. Are there any advantages or
2: disadvantages to each? Um, I would say, I mean, wallpaper is a is a bigger commitment than a painted wall. I think wall wallpaper is similar to plaster. You're making a pretty big commitment to that material, to that color scheme, to that pattern. I think paint can be a little bit more flexible down the road, but still wallpaper can be, they're much more tactile than mm-hmm. a paint would be. So I think there's a lot of beauty and elegance to that, that type of material being used in an interior. But yeah, so I think it depends on how committed you are to creating that space and then sticking with that space. So I think if an individual likes to see change more often than perhaps going with the paint, or if they like to really commit and give, give way to the wallpaper versus the paint.
0: Yeah, that's um, very similar to the notes that I had on this one, too. I also would add, like, if you are somebody that likes a lot of movement, but you also mm don't want to commit then I would totally recommend something like a removable wallpaper right so they're like pre-pasted pre-sticky you know this is like a funny example but like in my son's room he wanted like a Star Wars themed room I wanted like a Star Wars mural on his wall which is counter to everything I stand for as a designer I'm gonna be honest but um, when you have kids this they like Make you do things that you wouldn't otherwise yep. do. Right. So um, I was like, okay, we're going to do a Star Wars themed room, I guess. <laughs> so he has a wall and it's just like removable wallpaper. And I was like, okay, I feel like I can commit to this because I do not want to like actually pasted wallpaper of Star Wars on this wall right now. So um, I right. think that was That's- like a really good solution and has a lot of impact and he loves it. But then when he's over it, which P.S. Yes, he's already over it. Um, oh. Then I can just like pull it down and not feel like I had to, you know, do something super permanent. So right.
2: that's an option that's too. That's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, that's
0: brilliant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next question is from Sharon on Instagram at whiskfully so, and she says. Hi, Sam and Eva. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and I can't wait to see what's in store. I have. That's so sweet. Thank you, Sharon. Mm -hmm. I have two questions, both in regards to gardening, and they are one. How do you prevent little animal friends like squirrels from getting to your vegetables? Toronto gets so many squirrels and raccoons and they completely ate all my greens, herbs last year and (laughs) dug up my tulip bulbs. Oh, that's rough. Um, (laughs) So what I've done in the past when I had this situation, um, when we lived in L.A. and we, I was doing container gardening, uh, the squirrels were super aggressive in our neighborhood. So the best tool I found is chicken wire. So what you can do is if they're digging up around the base of a plant, you can put chicken wire just like laid on the ground with little cutouts around the plant, like, you know, maybe like a three inch perimeter around the stem. And then if you are doing it in raised beds, uh, what you could do is put like wooden stakes at the four corners of the raised bed and then use like uh, netting. So it's really easy to find netting for sale online that's made for you know deer deterrent or bird deterrent Um, that's used a lot with berry farms and stuff where you know animals will just be kind of wandering around Um, and so what you can do is then just drape the netting over the stakes and then the whole bed is protected and you just you know would want to tie down the corner or the netting to the corner of each of the corners of the raised bed to keep them from coming in but those would be probably the two easiest and most affordable ways and safest uh, ways to keep all those animals from uh, digging up and destroying your plants. Do you have any any um, thoughts on that, Lauren? No worries if not. <laughs> <laughs> not no,
2: not my area of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs>
1: uh, and then she asks, uh, how do you prevent aphids or other molds from attacking your flowers and vegetables? So In this case, preventative measures are definitely best. So if you're having a problem with molds, uh, especially like powdery mildew, or you get kind of like this like powdery white patches on your leaves, that tends to happen when there's not enough airflow around the plant. So you just really want to make sure they're spaced out enough and not crowding each other. And also, you want to make sure that they're not right up against the wall of a building. So that's another thing I had an issue with in L.A. was when my tomato pots were right up against my apartment building, they weren't getting airflow from that side. But once I scooted them out, like, you know, just a foot away from the wall to allow, like, more air to pass, the mildew problem went away. And you can also trim your plant if it's, like, super duper bushy. You know, like, tomatoes are actually really when it comes to trimming so feel free to trim the leaves if it's like blocking airflow around the center of the plant especially um, that goes for like roses too all sorts of plants and yeah as far as aphids you can definitely tackle those with like a homemade insecticidal soap and all you do is just mix together one tablespoon of dish soap and one quart of water just put in a little spritzer and uh, spritz it on the leaves and that'll really help take care of any uh Avid problems that you have without hurting some of the more beneficial insects. So yeah, great question. (laughs) And thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us today. This was so interesting. And, you know, it's just really nice to see a resurgence of interest in plaster, both because it's really beautiful, but also because, you know, it's a lot more environmentally friendly and safe mm-hmm. and you know like low toxicity compared to a lot of the paints that are out there right. so just important to think about you know the long term uh, impact of what we're doing what we're using Agreed. you know when we're decorating our homes so it's just really awesome to chat with you today
2: yeah absolutely i know it's it's been so fun to see just that that like you said the resurgence and a renewed interest in the craft and the materials and they're just so beautiful
1: <laughs> yeah they really are they're breathtaking <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been great chatting with you, and we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.
0: Bye. Uh huh. Right, bye, Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. You can find our show notes with resources and links at feelslikehomepodcast.com. Home For design advice, send in your listener mail at
1: feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Feels Like Home Podcast. The Feels Like Home Podcast is produced by Jeremiah Flores and hosted by interior designer Sam Struck and styles and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in and stay cozy, friends.